Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Welcome everyone. I'm Vicki Vasilika, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at ASHP. And thanks for tuning in for this COVID-19 special edition episode. As we all know, COVID-19 has presented many clinical, operational, and educational challenges in the past year. With that in mind, ASHP is sharing insights and lessons learned presented by your peers from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting so that you can incorporate these best practices into your own as we all do our part in caring for our patients. Now let's break down the barriers that COVID-19 has presented to our established best practices for patient care. As we know, the ADA-F bundle strives to optimize pain management, avoid deep sedation, reduce delirium, shorten duration of mechanical ventilation, minimize ICU-acquired weakness, and foster ICU patient and family involvement throughout the care process. But there are many important COVID-19-related issues and barriers that may preclude routine use of these practices, particularly at hospitals experiencing patient surges. Increased patient volumes with overflowing ICUs and hospitals, shortages of important medications and equipment, policies on masking and restrictions on visitors, all of these complications can negatively impact the ways that we assess and manage pain, agitation, delirium, and optimize mobility and family engagement. The need to adopt social distancing and the increased workload demands have pushed multidisciplinary care and collaboration away from our ideals. Because the ADF bundle is so effective in optimizing ICU liberation, we as clinicians must recognize that these challenges exist and apply strategies to overcome them in effort to mitigate the negative consequences of ICU care and subsequent post-discharge morbidity as best possible. So let's break down these barriers. Bear with me, there's a few global concerns that the COVID-19 pandemic has presented to delivery of the ADF bundle as a whole that we can and should discuss before we investigate specific barriers to each bundle element. Within the current crisis in which hospitals and health systems are facing unprecedented patient volumes with ICU beds and ventilator resources, application of the bundles elements proven to reduce duration of mechanical ventilation and decrease ICU length of stay seems a perfect match and a likely top priority. However, the bundle does require substantial clinician resources and time that may many institutions struggle to provide even pre-pandemic. There have been many changes in ICU care amongst our hospitals and health systems as we prepared for and managed the surge. We've seen alterations in our critical care hierarchy and care priorities. While delirium assessment and rehabilitation are no less important than pain and sedation while patients are mechanically ventilated, it's realistic to assume that these elements may be more difficult to apply fully, and visitor restrictions have substantially reduced the family's role as part of the ICU care team. We've also seen shifts in daily interprofessional team rounding practices and collaboration reverting back to isolated conversations and patient care decisions without the robust input provided by our multidisciplinary colleagues and their extensive expertise, a move away from established and valued best practices. Maintaining the interprofessional team may require novel approaches like virtual participation from colleagues in other areas of the hospital and from family members at home. Second, this significant increase in patient volumes has forced many of us to enlist non-critical care clinicians to care for our critically ill patients. And we've had to recruit our colleagues in pediatric critical care to care for our adults. 
These new team members may have varying levels of knowledge and experience with the A to F bundle, but it's important to warmly embrace these new team members, prioritizing just-in-time training about the bundle and partnering with them to foster mutual learning and provide guidance and coaching as it's appropriate. Lastly, the limitations of personal protective equipment have been an obvious and long-standing concern. High-quality critical care is predicated by adequate PPE for our staff, so shortages naturally impact every state of ICU care delivery. If the frequency of bedside patient assessments and interventions are reduced, an unfortunate adverse effect would be the increased use of deep sedation, hand restraints, and neuromuscular blocker therapy outside of usual therapeutic goals. Restricted PPE availability has also resulted in an overlap of bedside responsibilities by each interprofessional team member with single ICU clinicians entering a patient room at one time. This results in a loss of those safety layers with robust profession-specific education and experience. Non-RTs changing ventilator settings or non-RNs administering medications, these actions can have serious ramifications. The many layers of PPE, masks, goggles, face shields, gowns, gloves, all of these have removed an important element of critical care, that personal, face-to-face, human connection, which may limit our opportunities to utilize nonverbal communication and cues of compassion and empathy. In the setting of limited PPE, I encourage you and your ICU team members to consider outside-of-the-box ideas to increase efficiency, improve patient care, and enhance safety of the care you provide. Awareness of these major barriers to the ADAF bundle is important, and utilizing strong interprofessional team communication with just-in-time training and coaching can facilitate bundle adherence while also conserving PPE supplies. Consider boluses of patient care with a buddy system of multidisciplinary providers. In terms of individual bundle elements, pain assessment of mechanically ventilated patients may be compromised, especially if they are more deeply sedated for longer periods of time or receiving neuromuscular blocking therapy. For many of these components, reduced time at the bedside of clinical staff will be a major barrier. It's important to note the causes of patient pain, assume it's present, anticipate it for the cares that we know contribute to pain sensation, and preemptively treat with optimal doses and multiple mechanisms of action as appropriate, individualized for each individual patient. Similarly, spontaneous awakening and breathing trials may be impacted through decreased assessments and bedside presence, so ensuring all members of the team are educated to conduct pain and sedation assessments with their cares, communicating frequently with the rest of the interdisciplinary team of their findings, and providing both non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic interventions to optimize sedation management through individualized care plans and protocolized titrations is warranted. An increased risk of drug interactions, withdrawal effects, and adverse drug events are likely present in all of our mechanically ventilated COVID-19 patients due to the use of analgesics, sedatives, and paralytics, often for prolonged periods at high doses with multi-organ failure prevalent in this population. We've talked about adverse effects and drug interactions throughout the presentation thus far, so I'll reinforce the importance of developing and reassessing patient-specific pharmacotherapy plans and having monitoring in place to mitigate deleterious effects. Given prolonged use, the risk of withdrawal is real for various agents, and weaning strategies may be necessary with agents of longer durations to provide a natural tapering. Again, reduced screening for delirium as a result of decreased bedside presence and difficulty reducing many of the risk factors for delirium in these patients are barriers, but it is possible to apply non-pharmacologic delirium-reducing interventions, like simplifying nighttime interventions and reducing light and noise in patient care areas overnight to help promote sleep. These patients are at extremely high risk for ICU-acquired weakness, and deep sedation precludes out-of-bed rehabilitation efforts, but range of motion exercises should be attempted at least daily with established mobility and rehabilitation goals discussed in each patient's plan of care, 
even in the absence of our PT and OT colleagues. Some hospitals have even employed virtual consultations to guide these efforts in the absence of their physical presence. It's also possible to conduct exercises within a patient room with the nursing staff and may be possible to mask our extubated patients to facilitate hallway walking in certain circumstances as institutions allow. Restricted visitations and limited engagement of family members are huge barriers to an important element of the interdisciplinary care team. Encouragement of alternative mechanisms in communication, like FaceTiming for rounds and making sure those family members are there, or helping them assisting families with safe and successful visits to their loved ones are definitely things that we should employ. Encouraging family members to provide photographs and other media that the patient enjoys, like music, television shows, or books. Those are things that the patient can improve their satisfaction with their care and are a great idea to increase engagement and family involvement. We've all faced rapid practice changes this past year, and as we well know, integration of these changes is key to a successful pandemic response. The Society of Critical Care Medicine published ICU resources earlier this year with the proposal of a tiered staffing strategy of COVID-19 care teams to triage a high quantity of patients requiring mechanical ventilation. In this graphic, an experienced critical care physician oversees several teams, each led by a critical care provider and comprised of multiple disciplines and specialties with varying levels of knowledge and experience. Critical care trained and experienced pharmacists would be the preference to care for this patient population, but we, we also need to rely on our non-ICU pharmacist colleagues to help carry this burden. In doing so, we must have a plan in place to educate and equip bedside clinicians to care for these patients, especially in the setting of those non-ICU trained pharmacists practicing in critical care areas. Health systems and professional organizations across the country have really answered this call with innovative ideas like hosting routine meetings with questions and discussion amongst practitioners at all levels, distributing pertinent literature, updated guidelines and institutional algorithms as they're established, and offering COVID-19 focused education and lecture series presentations like this one for clinicians across the country. With so, many, so much work to be done in surge planning and preparedness, it's a great opportunity to incorporate your learners, residents and students, provide them with a valuable learning experience and share the workload wealth as the learner's capabilities allow. As mentioned, maintaining multidisciplinary care is critical, so ensure it's a priority if your role transitions remote that you're able to know and contact your team members with an established mode and time for rounds or patient recommendation run-throughs as it's possible. Utilization of a HIPAA-compliant video conferencing software is another mechanism to maintain that presence, albeit virtual, in the multidisciplinary rounding process. Operational changes are necessary and require rapid integration to optimize practice in a pandemic world, too. We've discussed inventory management, but this may require modification to an inventory system in place at your institution. So develop an automated report if it's possible with routine dissemination to stakeholders that we've discussed. Medication supplies available on our patient care units in the automated dispensing cabinets may need modification to specific standard stock and PAR levels within those machines with consistent reevaluation for necessary revisions, depending on the usage and the hospital's plans to care for certain types of patients in certain settings. For example, converting ORs, OR beds to additional inpatient beds. Pharmacy and hospital leadership must also work together to purchase and distribute additional automated dispensing cabinets, rapid sequence intubation kits, code cards, and other relevant medication use systems in preparedness planning. Sterile compounding practices should be streamlined as best possible using similar strategies as those for automated dispensing cabinets in terms of inventory management and likely resulting in increased batching to be necessary for our analgesic, sedative, and vasoactive medication infusions with an emphasis on placing 
on having not ready to infuse formulations prepared and available and ready to infuse to improve patient care and minimizing waste as possible. It's also important to address expectations with leadership. Though important in conventional care, this may not be the appropriate time to roll out extreme cost-saving initiatives or strictly enforce medication restrictions or conduct any non-essential pharmacy services in effort to support the added clinical and operation workloads that our, our pharmacists are facing. With regard to possible infection prevention measures, some hospitals have moved to keeping intravenous infusion pumps outside COVID-positive patient rooms. For example, ISMP published this photograph earlier in the United States' experience of the pandemic, but there are so many factors to consider in making this change, including the vascular access that might be necessary, requiring central lines based on the required flow rates for these, extension tubing, and fall risks that may be associated with those longer lines, as well as increased drug amounts necessary for priming. Consider the clinical effects of this change too. Delayed drug onset is likely as the drug has a longer pathway to travel before it reaches the patient than we're used to. So anticipate that and carefully titrate as not to overdose. Bundling enteral and other medication administration times to preserve PPE, limit nurse exposure, and decrease room entry frequency is another opportunity. And for sites in which order verification isn't performed by the clinical pharmacist, it's important to emphasize the appropriate workflow to the pharmacist processing and profiling these orders. For labs too, bundle where it's possible and for both medications and labs, assess and reassess their utility and get rid of the unnecessary or no longer necessary orders as it's clinically appropriate. As we've detailed, many of us have been and are facing transitions away from our comfortable and conventional first-line agents toward more frequent use of second and third-line medications with the pessimistic possibility for fourth-line agents. It's important to proactively develop backup plans as well as backup plans for your backup plans and prepare for a not-if-but-when scenario. This requires incorporation of our informatics teams who have probably not been as celebrated as they deserve for much of the behind the scenes impacts that they have on efficient and safe patient care. Preparing medication order builds for alternative opioid and sedative infusions, programming infusion pumps for these orders and providing clinical decision support at both order entry and verification and as well as education and administration are necessary integrations we'd be remiss not to emphasize. Clinical changes are the last major set of rapid practice changes we'll discuss integrating today. And I'm sure many of you participating today have firsthand experience here. Ideally, clinical changes that are necessary will modify care provided without compromising its quality in any capacity. So it's important to maintain that frame of reference when discussing, planning, and implementing these changes. Preparedness is key. Have backup plans for your backup plans, backup plans. Medical emergencies predicate an organized response, so cardiac arrest, intubation, and other scenarios must be anticipated. And education must be provided to the staff of pandemic workflows with defined limited personnel going into patient rooms, coordinating entry, and thoroughly disinfecting equipment as it's utilized. One such strategy includes planning for needed drugs and dosages before entering the room and drawing them up outside beforehand. Medication histories and patient education are still an important component of care for all patients. So modifying procedures to conduct visits with patients confirmed or suspected to be COVID positive via in-room telephones where possible is another circumvention strategy. This is something my institution has employed, for example. 
Anticipating and mitigating medication errors is a major opportunity for us to really serve our patients and our colleagues, given the massive increased use of new or less familiar medications with which we're treating patients. Dosing errors are well-documented and common. Provide real-time education with the interdisciplinary care team and stand by for additional questions. Seek feedback to enhance that process. So hopefully these strategies have helped us to minimize all of the incredible barriers that we're facing to the A to F bundle. And hopefully you're feeling more prepared and capable of overcoming these challenges with all of the ideas that we've discussed today. With that, I'd like to leave you with this important mindset as you address unprecedented problems in your own practices. First consider, what would we normally do? What are the guideline recommendations or established best practices with an evidence basis that we would normally do for patient care? Next, recognize the challenges that COVID-19 specifically presents and acknowledge that impact to the scenario at hand. Within that context, answer the question, how can we get as close to what we would normally do as possible? Involve key stakeholders and obtain interdisciplinary feedback on problems to support implementation of best practice-based policies and workflows with the added precautions in place. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today for this special edition podcast on COVID-19. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to check out our COVID-19 Resource Center at ashp.org backslash COVID-19 for the most up-to-date developments on COVID-19. Take care and thank you for all you do. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.